0: On the handout, you'll notice that the title of the sermon is Husbands Love Your Wives. I'll let you in on a little inside secret. We had a little bit of a, you always, you know, print the handout and, and double-check it, make sure everything's accurate, and no misspellings or typos. And uh, I'm 100% sure that everything in here, in this piece of paper, is absolutely accurate. If there's any single mistake, you'll want to talk to Sandy about that. Uh, but anyway, through that process, uh, a sermon title goes in there. Sometimes I put it in there, sometimes Sandy puts it in there. where They were checking it, and Mark told me that there was a little faux pas in there. A, the, the title is Husbands Love Your Wives. For some reason, it went in there as Husbands Believe Your Wives. And i uh, not sure if that was Freudian or not, but anyway, uh, some, somewhere along the line, we kind of... We got it all corrected, though. The, the, the message today is... Uh, about husbands loving your wives, which, of course, means my job is doubly hard because there's uh, at least half the audience and and more uh, that are saying, well, I can just tune out now because uh, this guy next to me better be listening and taking good notes. Um, and I want you to understand that uh, this this sermon goes hand in glove with the sermon from next week. And, and if you're listening to the podcast, you're watching Vimeo, you really need to watch these two sermons together. To understand what what God intends here as as we work and talk about marriage, there is a story it's probably one you've heard many times about a reporter who was interviewing a, a married couple uh, They had were celebrating their sixty fifth wedding anniversary, and the reporter says, "How is it uh, that you are able to do this? How are you able to manage to stay together?" For sixty-five years, and and the wife responded, "Well, we were born in a time when, if something was broken, uh, that you fixed it instead of just throwing it away." And you probably heard that story or that line, and and it makes a lot of sense to me because it reminds us, especially as Christ followers, that as we talked about last week. God designed marriage. And marriage is not easy because you've got two imperfect people in covenant together as one. And so that means that you're going to have trouble. You're going to have difficulties. You're going to have arguments. You're going to have fights. You're going to um, have moments of uh, intense fellowship, as somebody once said. Um, You can't not have difficulty in marriage because you've got two sinful people involved. That's not the question. The question is, will you invest? Will you lean into it? Will you push, not being pushy, but push and fight for your marriage? Uh, There's a song that I love. Almost brings me to tears every time I hear it. And uh, it's... The, 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 there's one line in it. It's talking about this idea of marriage. It says, "Love is not a fight, but it's something worth fighting for." As we talk about families and marriage, you need to understand that, uh, that I'm preaching this not from the vantage point of being a perfect husband or being in a sinless, flawless, perfect marriage. I, I, I'm in the same boat. We have this we have to work through it together and so if we'll take this attitude of the the couple and say you know what There are going to be hard times there're going to be difficulties there's going to be struggles but we work on it we work through it we don't just give in and give up and throw it away so as we think about this series faithful families i want you to understand something that i, I intended to get to last week but i, I think it fits here just as as well. Uh, marriage, though it has two imperfect people, tells a perfect story. And it's not your love story, it's God's story. See, there's a, a gospel-centered idea in marriage. If you If you don't understand exactly what I mean, let's let the Word interpret the preacher, okay? Ephesians chapter 5 is where you want to turn. Ephesians chapter 5 is where we're going to be mostly today. Ephesians chapter 5 is page 1,254, and probably the, the one of the most frustrating parts as we read the Bible, and it, it has it in this pew Bible as well, we have it, they kind of break it up, and they say, well, this section talks about this. This section mine says, uh, the pew Bible says, walk in love, and then it says wives and husbands, and then it says children and parents. You understand those are just to explain and kind of help us through the text, but those are not inspired words. What happens is, as we read through the text, we go, "Oh, oh, this section only deals with wives and husbands, and this section deals with walking in love, and this section deals with children and parents." Really, the scripture was written as as one continuous story, and it all weaves together. So, I, I just want us to understand that these parts flow together, and as Paul speaks directly to husbands and wives, he says this about marriage. Uh, this is chapter five, verse thirty-one. I guess it's page uh, 1,255 in the Pew Bible. Therefore, a man will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And we know from last week, if we're paying attention, he's quoting here from Genesis chapter 2, just like Jesus did in Matthew chapter 19. So this is the basis text. This mystery is profound, he says, and... I am saying that ref- it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. What he's saying here, if you, if you miss it, he's saying, I'm talking about Christ and the church. I'm talking about the relationship between Christ and us. But as we understand that, may we learn from the relationship between Christ and the church and apply it within our marriage. Now, nobody would disagree that Christ is the head of the church. The scripture is very clear on that. There's only one head of the church. And it's not any human being. It's not the preaching guy. It's not the pastor. It's not the pope. It's not the elders. There's one head of the church. That's Jesus the Christ. Okay? Now, we understand that. We get that. Okay? That's that's an easy amen right there. But then when Paul says, listen, apply this in your marriage. There is one head in your family. That's the way God designed it. I said, so, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not sure I agree with that. I, I don't like that. I don't like that. I'm, I'm shutting down right now. Because this sounds like the patriarchy to me. And I don't want any part of it. Give me that tomato. I'll chuck it at him. He's, he's making this analogous relationship between Christ and the church. And husbands and wives. And if we'll do it right. Marriage tells the story of the gospel. And so the world cannot understand this relationship. It's for us in Christ. We understand how it's supposed to work, but it will help us understand if we think of Christ and the church. So husbands, are you being Christ-like? Are you being a model of Christ? The scriptures tell us, The husband and wife have a role, they have a relationship, and they're to submit themselves to each other. And I think this is true physically, emotionally, relationally, and even spiritually. That if you work together for the betterment of the other, that's how you make marriage work. You say, how do you know that? Back up just a few verses. Go back one page on the Pew Bible if you're following along. Now, this is is the part I was talking about earlier. It's before the part where it technically says wives and husbands, but I think it absolutely applies. Look at verse 21. Why do we submit ourselves one to another? And we live in a world talking about my rights, and I want justice, and I want what's fair, and it's what about me? And if you're a Christian, you gave up all that. I mean, that that got buried with all of your sins, any right to your rights. Paul says, look at this, verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Sometimes I I make this sort of tongue-in-cheek joke I'll tell you about, you know, they've got this event coming up or sign up for this or do that or, you know, I'll challenge you to do something and I'll say, well, you know, you only have to do it if you love Jesus. And you understand that 's just a, a joke i 'm just using the preacher 's strong arm technique, but Paul does this. he says, "Listen, if you love jesus as a husband, you love your wife. If you love Jesus as a wife, you submit to or you respect your husband as christ does or as the church does Christ. you say that 's hard." Yeah, yeah, that's the point. Why bother? Because that's what Jesus did for us. So, husbands, this morning we're going to start with you. If you're listening to the podcast, you're watching online, remember we got to, we got to link this week's sermon and next week's sermon as we work through this together. Let's learn how to do this in practical ways and speak this morning to our husbands. We're in verse 25 of Ephesians chapter 5. Paul says this. Now, husbands... Love your wife, love your wives as Christ. And I, if if you just mentally underline or in your Bible underline, because that's the key point, as Christ, as Christ, love. I'm sorry, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up. For her, so that he might sanctify her, having her cleansed by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. When I say, husbands, love your wives, you say, well, that, yeah, obviously I love my wife. I wouldn't be married to her if I didn't love her. Well, okay. <laughs> we understand... When we're talking about love, we're talking about the biblical idea of love. Most people, when they talk about love in our world, are talking about what I call chicken love. You may know or have heard rumor that I have an affinity for the chicken. I enjoy eating chicken at a certain chicken restaurant. Many people have tried to convert me and tried to, you know, talk me out of it and all of that. And they say, man, you sure do love chicken. But I really don't. You say, how can you not love chicken? You are there all the time. Yeah, I mean, they, they should hire you. I mean, you're, you're marketing for them all the time. You, you've got to love chicken. No, I, I don't love chicken. Not at all. Not in the slightest. If I love chicken, if I really love chicken, I wouldn't kill it and rip its feathers off and boil it and pay somebody to cut it into pieces and deep fry it. See, I don't love chicken. When I'm enjoying chicken nuggets, I love myself. I just went really deep with chicken right there. But don't miss my point. There's a lot of people who say they love something, what they really mean is not that they love that thing or that one. What they really mean is, "I love that thing, what it can do for me, or what he or she can do for me, or how he or she can gratify me." That is what they're saying. is not that they love the object of that love, but really that they love themselves. When we talk about that, we're talking about the wrong kind of love. Okay? In scripture, husbands and wives are to love each other in that agape sort of way. It is that selfless not selfish ish kind of love. And that's different. You love chicken or you love yourself? We have to understand, when we're talking about loving your wife, which is the first point, we're talking about not loving yourself, we're talking about loving her enough, well, just as Paul says, as Christ loved the church. Well, how did Christ love the church? I'm glad that you asked. Turn to Acts chapter 20, verse 28. You probably remember this from the sermon series on shepherds. You probably have that whole sermon series memorized, and you know exactly what that verse says. But just in case you don't, Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Paul, speaking to the Ephesian elders, says this, "...pay careful attention to yourselves..." and to all the flock in which the holy seers has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. The church, whether we realize it or not, is a blood-bought body, a blood-bought bride. She is highly valuable that the Son of God would spill his own blood to purchase her and to redeem her. You know, this type of love is more than chocolate and flowers. This is a self-sacrificial kind of love, a laying down of myself for her. This kind of love, agape, is more than just words. I was talking about this with a young man. We were having coffee the other day, and he was telling me he's, he's a into labs. He's got a lab and talking about how smart she was and he says, it's really amazing how labs communicate. How they, how they express to us what they want or, or or know what we want and yet they don't talk. It's all action-based. It's all, you know, it's, it's all got to be demonstrated. My opinion, that's why God gave us dogs and other animals because they show us that that love is something that you can do without having to waste any words with it. Agape is love in action. It is more action than words, and it's focused not on someone else's action. It's focused on your action. So, so let me ask you, if you turn to First Corinthians 13, um, and I hope that you will, because you should you should measure yourself against this standard of love. Here's the standard of love that God uses. How do you do on this test? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. It rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all. All things. I'm asking you this morning, men, and and it is to men, because I just want to ask you, are you patient and kind? Are you proud? Are you envious? Are you boastful? Do you dishonor your wife, even in a joking way? Are you self-seeking? Are you easily angered? You keep a record of wrongs? you delight in evil, you rejoice with the truth? Can you say that you always protect her, that you always trust her, that you always hope the best for her, and do you always persevere in your marriage? I'll tell you, if you read these scriptures, and there's not part of you that your toes haven't been stepped on, you haven't been reading the scriptures. God told, holds us to a high standard as men, as husbands, to love our wives with the same kind of love that he has loved us. Everybody wants to receive that kind of love. Everybody wants to be the object of that love. There's some wives who think, man, I sure hope, I, man, I preach on, preacher. You just keep right on going. I, my guy needs to hear this. I'm not talking to you. I need to ask you, I mean, when I read that, when Toby reads that, you understand there are are many times when I am less than patient. There are many times when I am far from kind, many times when I'm self-seeking, and I fall woefully short of the standard of love that Christ called me to love Christie as her husband. I'm still learning 20 years into it. It was Thursday evening. I was up here working late trying to get some stuff done. And Grace had gymnastics. And so we were texting back and forth. And I said, can you handle you know, taking Grace to the gymnastics? And Tyler was at a, a uh, doing something else at the school. I think it was a basketball game. And... And I got, got to go in later, and I said, hey, is there any way you can pick Tyler up from that as well? She's like, sure. She did that. And then there came the day when I had dropped the kids off at school. I had come home, and she was doing something else. And she sent me a text, hey, can you go back to the school, pick the kids up? I'm not going to be able to make it. My very sensitive reply via text was, "Well, that was poor planning." I told you, I don't do this perfectly. Now, I didn't really think of it in the moment as real insensitive, right? I didn't really think of it in the moment. I just meant, like, I'm be fine. I just want to. I just didn't want to make two trips. I'm I'm digging myself a hole here. It's just not going to (laughs) work. I'm at home, and I hear the garage door open, and the door open, and the door shut, and I look over as she's coming in to see if I need to help her with the groceries she's bringing in, and I can tell she doesn't need or want my help. She's glaring at me, and she gives me this look, and it's really hard to aptly describe the look in that moment. Did you ever see a wet cat? Just just from here down. And she said, with all the patience and love in the world, yesterday, when you needed me, I stepped right in and did that. And today, when I needed you, you did not return in kind. Your response to me was, that was poor planning. I tell that story just to say, just to to help you know that even though I step up here every week, you need to know even the preacher does not do it perfectly. That's why we need to come back again and again and again to the standard of God's Word. Husbands, what do you need to work on? Now, wives, I don't want you making a list, okay? Husbands, you read the Scripture and let the Scripture align you And let it step on your toes, and more specifically, let it step on your heart and ask you the question, do you love your wife? No, I don't mean do you love what she can do for you. I mean, do you love her as God calls you to love her? I want to challenge you to work on three specific ways. Just look at that list. It could be be more kind. It could be more patient. It could be less envious. It could be less arrogance. You pick the three. It doesn't matter to me. There are several there. But I want you to pick three and write them down, and intentionally work at loving your wife in a better way. As you give her love, by the way, there's a benefit and a blessing, not just to you, but to your marriage as a whole. Dr. Emerson egrich talks about this in his well-known book, Love and Respect. And he uses the verse that we've already read, uh, 5 chapter 33, where he says, Uh, Oops, I'm in 1 Corinthians. In in Ephesians 5.33, let each of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. He says that when you do these things, what happens in a marriage is there's an energizing cycle. Husbands, as you love your wife well and as you attempt to, and even in the mistakes, you can say, honey, I'm sorry, that was unloving. And that's what, what I did. And in, our, in our moment of intense fellowship, I said, that, that, was, that was unloving, wasn't it? If I will increase my love for her, what will happen? It will, it will increase her respect for me. Okay? And so as we do that, as she respects more, then that motivates me to love more. And, and you say, well, the natural question is, okay, well, I'm not, I'm not making the move until he does. Well, I'm not making the move until she does. Listen, that's why this sermon is to each of you one at a time. Because you each have different roles and goals. But the goal here is to, for you to energize and build up through the husband loving his wife and the wife respecting to her husband. And that will build up more and more. So start by loving your wife. And by the way, the opposite of that is true. Egrich says that usually when marriages fall apart, it's because the wife feels unloved. And so because she feels unloved, she acts in a disrespectful way. And the more disrespectful she acts, the more unloving he treats her. And he calls that the crazy cycle. And if you're in crazy cycle, it's just the opposite of the energizing cycle. It sucks the life out of your marriage. It makes you not want to be in relationship. It makes you have you shut each of the other shuts down. They start living instead of two as one, they live both two as two. They start living separately. Their, their, their lives are separated. They just go home and they stare at their phones and they they have no interaction. Why? Because they're in the they're in the crazy cycle. So if your marriage is there, maybe you need to work on these two very simple things. And it's not about waiting for the other person to jump in and do, it's about you doing what God has called you to do. So husbands, start loving your wives. Not as you want to be loved, as she wants to be loved, and as she needs to be loved. And to do this effectively, it means you have to do one more thing, and that's leave yourself. The the scripture says that Christ gave himself up for her. God wants you to be in second place in your marriage. He wants you to put yourself last and put the other first in your marriage. I love, Brent just, and he he was on fire today with the song selection that he had, because they were all just right in there, both with love and Christ-like love, and that that The song that we sang, near the cross, keep me near the cross. Keep me near to the cross. Close your eyes for just a minute. And thank you to those of you who are already there. Seriously, close your eyes. And this, this will not be helpful if you do not close your eyes. Because I need you to picture, not the preacher, but I need you to picture the Messiah, the Son of God, on Golgotha, on a Roman cross, suffering, bleeding, being screamed at, his last pieces of of the very little that he had in this world being auctioned away by the soldiers. The people that followed him for three years have left him. He's all alone between two criminals who are arguing about who he is. He has no breath left in his lungs. And, And the little breath that he has, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All of that, open your eyes, all of that he did for you. He laid down himself. If we would keep ourselves in our role as husbands, and next week we'll talk about our role as wives, if we would keep our role in that perspective of the cross, listen to what Jesus said. And, and they didn't know what he was talking about, but he certainly did. John 15:12 and following. John 15. this is page 1,157. "This is my commandment: that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than that he laid down his life. For his friends. Jesus loved you enough to lay down his life physically, but even more than that, spiritually. He laid down his life, he emptied himself for you. Now, in marriage, this is what it comes to, guys God, Christ, calls us to lay down our lives for our wives. And, and this, this takes hold in so many practical ways. Because sometimes on Sunday morning, you'll see men come up, and they'll, and, and particularly when the weather's bad, it's snowy and icy, and they'll drive up, and they'll let the, the wife and the children out first, and let them get out where it's covered and dry, and the salt's down, and, and they get to go inside first, and the, the gentleman of the husband goes out, and he parks the car, and he, he traipses back in, trying not to fall, and, He does that because he's a gentleman. But part of, basic part of being a gentleman is this, laying down your life for another. Um, When you're walking on the sidewalk, which side do gentlemen stand on? You know? Yeah, side closest to the street. That's just what gentlemen do. Why? Why? God forbid, you know, a car comes down the road, somebody's not paying attention or something and veers off. Closest to the, to the, to the uh, road allows that man in that moment to potentially push his wife out of danger and take the blow himself. There's a story this week of a crossing guard who did that for some small children. And the son he was an older man, I think he's 80s. And he said, there was no doubt in my mind that if anyone would lay down his life for those children, it would be my father. That's what a gentleman does. Now, we can think of that in the heroic way. The elders talked this morning about what happens in, God forbid, a a terrible situation. And and they said, you know, basically, get down, take cover, and and stay out of the way. And God forbid if that ever happened, I know there would be a lot of men who would be pushing their wives and their children down and laying on top of them because that's what gentlemen do. It's carrying in the crock pot. It's holding the diaper bags. It's picking up kids from class. It's taking the baby out when they're crying. It's running the vacuum at home. It's doing the dishes. It's it's laying down your life. You see, it doesn't have to be a big dramatic gesture. Often it's the small things. Second is, think about it this way. How did you convince your wife to love you last night? The children and I were uh well the the family they, the children were asking me if they could get out some of the picture boxes from the storage room. I said, "Yeah, sure, so they pull out these tubs and they've got pictures from the ancient years um, the years beginning with one those are the ancient years. Um, they're looking through all these pictures, Wow, look at that, oh man, what were you thinking wearing that? Oh my goodness. And they're looking at all these pictures, and there in the the package of things was a picture of very young Toby. And my thought was, man, how did that guy convince that girl to marry him? Well, persistence beats resistance is the only thing I can (laughs) say. It was a process. I had to talk to her. I had to listen to her. I had to study her. I had to understand her. I had to close my mouth and open my ears. I, I had to see and think about what made her laugh. I had to spend time with her. I, had, I gave her gifts. She didn't ask for any of those things. But in that courtship process, I was laying down myself for her. That's not a bad thing. That's, that's how God designed it. But the problem is, sometimes when we get married, we stop that process. I don't know why. Do we intentionally say, well, I've I've sealed the deal. Now I just don't have to do anything more. Maybe we just get lazy. Maybe we just get selfish. To stay together, keep doing what it was that brought you together. And that's important. Uh, I've got five uh, quick suggestions for you, and and I want you to write these down because I really want you to just pick one, and uh, I hope that you will. And these are just for husbands. I want you to work on the one of the five that you most need to work on, okay? Number one, um, connect. Take time to connect. And this is very simple. It's dating your wife. And that doesn't have to be, you know, anything extravagant or expensive. You know, get a babysitter or tell the kids to go downstairs, put on some nice music, cook dinner for her. Just you and her. That's a date. That counts. Um, You know, take time to build intimacy, emotional intimacy, relational, physical intimacy, spiritual intimacy, intimacy. There's there's something that God wants us to do as husband and, and wives, is to connect with each other. And so, in, if if this is one that you are struggling with, I would challenge you just to you know ha- carve out a day, set a, a, an alarm on your phone or something in your calendar, and just carve out 15 minutes a day. And you shut the door, and the kids you know handle themselves, and you put the devices away. And you spend 15 minutes listening to, learning about, caring for, and thinking of your your spouse. So connect. Ephesians 5.31, it says he will be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. The two becoming one is a becoming process. It doesn't happen instantaneously. You've seen, no doubt, the pictures in the paper. I think they still produce a thing called a paper these days. And in the celebrations part, they'll have this anniversary section. People married 50, 60, sometimes 70 years or more. And you know what's funny is, you know what's funny about that page? If you look at people that have been married 50 and 60 and 70 years, almost without exception, you go, man, they, they're starting to look alike. And that fact right there makes Christy cry herself to sleep most nights. <laughs> but that's pro- that's a part of the process of two becoming one. Two becoming one. And, and that doesn't happen magically. You have to take time to do that. You have to make time to do that. Um, so take time to connect. Secondly, listen. James 1.19 says... Each of you should be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Um, This is something that really, especially for men, can be challenging because men and women, listen, this is going to surprise you, this is the result of deep hours of study, but men and women are different Men and women listen differently. If you're talking to me as a man, I'm just going to give you insight into my brain. And it's basically four words. Get to the point. And I don't mean that in a rude way. What do you need and how can I help? What do you need how can I help? That's how I listen. That's That, I, I'm convinced, is a male thing. And that comes from a genuine, sincere heart. I want to help you. Women um, don't listen in the same way. When they're talking with their girlfriends and, and they're chatting about things in life, there's not always a problem that needs to be solved. As Somebody explained it this way, that women... Uh, talk often to report their feelings, to repeat their feelings, to relay their feelings, and, and men don't communicate often in that way. Okay? There is a relational air that needs to happen, and, and she needs oxygen, and so she needs you to listen. Now, if you are a guy like me who listens to solve a problem, you have to switch into listening to support. If your wife is talking to you, you have to put down the device, you have to look her in the eyes, and you have to listen and occasionally repeat back. But if sometimes it's fair to ask the question, if you're a husband, to say, are you needing me to listen to support? Are you needing me to listen to solve? Does that make sense? So sometimes just being clear about what she needs Sometimes when she needs you to be supportive of you, she's not looking for you to fix anything or change anything. And women, women understand. Sometimes your husband is thinking, "What do I? What do you want me to do? You know, do I need a wrench, a hammer? Do I need to go to Lowe's? You know, what do I need to do to fix this problem?" Maybe she doesn't need you to fix anything. Maybe simply she needs your support. Second, uh, third is open up. First Peter three seven says, "Husbands, be considerate." as you live with your wives, treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Some people get all twerked about uh, weaker simply just means more fragile. This means be considerate of her in that moment where I said, well, that was poor planning. I was being truthful. I was not being sensitive. Um, so I, I have to be more considerate toward her. Fourth is soften husband's, Colossians 3:19 husbands love your wives and do not be harsh with them our wives physically I know this is sort of politically incorrect but physically men and women are different okay women are physically softer they have uh, they have less muscle mass than men do when you consider her physically you need to remember that inwardly, she's more tender, generally speaking, of heart than you are. When you put those two together, those are that's a great combination. But that means you have to be tender and gentle and kind. With my children, I have a daughter and a son, and I, I discipline them differently because of this. Okay? Grace is more tender. It doesn't take... Sometimes it's... Grace Nicole, and she melts. Why? Because she's more tender. Okay? So soften yourself, okay, is all I'm saying. Just (laughs) soften yourself, and you saw me working through a process there, didn't you? (laughs) Soften yourself, okay? Be considerate of her as her husband. Um. Finally, encourage. Proverbs 31, this is the Old Testament, I was talking about the Proverbs 31 woman. And it says, her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. I cannot tell you this point enough. Our wives continually feel like they do not measure especially in the age of the Internet and social media, young moms, young wives, older wives feel like they do not measure up, that they are not enough. You cannot underestimate the power of an encouraging word and an encouraging note, an encouraging smile and prayer. Uh, She needs that. I mean, we all need that. I, I understand that. But women in today's world continually feel like they do not measure up. And if you don't tell her that she more than measures up, that she's the best thing that's ever happened to you since Chick-fil-A, and that's my line, you can't use. She needs to hear that and know that. Yes, some men approach it with, I already told you I loved you 50 years ago. If I change my mind, I'll let you know. That doesn't work. you got to remind her often. We need all need that encouragement. And finally, what... Well, as we close, you know, the, the whole purpose of Jesus loving us was to help make us holy. Only the Savior can save her. You can't save her. You have to lead her to Jesus, and you have to be Christ-like in your love toward her and for her. So lead her to Jesus. I was having a conversation with my son. We were talking about marriage. I think it was stemmed off the opening, going through the old pictures. And I said, you know, son... Basically, whatever the future holds, if you do get married, marry someone who helps you get to heaven. And that's true in in Tyler marrying his wife someday and for Grace marrying her husband someday. The goal of it is holiness and sanctification. And if we'll each be as Christ-like as possible in our love and respect and submission toward each other, we'll get the gospel. All right. Please be here again next week, and if you're joining us online, skip ahead to the next sermon. And this morning, if you have not obeyed Christ, if you have not uh, been obedient to Christ by doing simply what he said to do, uh, then I would invite you to do that this morning. If you have a public need, uh, please meet our shepherds down front as together we stand and sing.